0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit echoeygt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at echoeygt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. When you came in this morning, you received a bulletin. On the backside of that bulletin, your sermon notes. As you can see, we're in the middle of a sermon series titled, A Church in Motion. Today, we're gonna talk about emerging leaders. Today, we're gonna talk and observe how the early church dealt with problems, how the early church dealt with friction. Not only will we look at how they dealt with with conflict, but we're gonna look at how they solved problems. You know, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and Luke places great emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit in everyday life of the church. This is by no accident. It's for our learning. We must be a church of uh, the Spirit. We, in the 21st century, must be a church relying upon Him to empower us, to develop us, and to mature us. The Spirit's role in the believer's daily life cannot be over-exaggerated. Let me ask a rhetorical question. Is it possible today we place too much emphasis on the man, his or her abilities, and not enough on the Spirit's role? Is it possible we place too much emphasis on human effort and not enough on the Spirit's empowerment? How can we become a church relying upon, or how have we become a church relying upon the giftings and talents of the individual instead of Holy Spirit empowerment? My charge today, my hope today is that we would seek to pattern glad tidings after the church of the book of Acts. May we seek to be a spirit-empowered church, which is impacting its community, its region, and world. As we read a part of our passage this morning, observe how the early church dealt with problems. Observe not only how they dealt with problems, but how they solved these problems. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Begin reading in verse 1 reading out of the New Living Translation. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Uh-oh. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. There was the class The clash of cultures. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected, who are full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. We will give them this responsibility then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Verse 5 says, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Luke goes on to say, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and even many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Let us pray. Father, open our heart to receive. Lord, I pray. I pray, God, that we would see how the early church operated and we'll pattern our hearts and lives after the early church. Lord, we want to be a people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. May we leave here today encouraged and strengthened and transformed by the preaching of the word. And everybody said, amen. Let's talk a moment about a church moving forward. See, a church in motion is a church moving forward. And what we'll notice in chapter 6 and a little bit of chapter 7 is the characteristics of a church moving forward. First of all, is a growing church. God means for his church to experience growth. Let's go back to chapter 5 just for a moment. Look at verse 41 and verse 42. Says the apostles left the high priest council or the council rejoicing that they had been kind of worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. You remember the apostles were arrested because they were preaching in the streets of Jerusalem that Jesus is the Messiah. The religious community, the leaders in Jerusalem didn't know what to do. They couldn't deny a miracle had taken place. So, what they did is they had the apostles beaten. They had them flogged with a whip and then released them and told them, Do not preach the name of Jesus. Verse 42 says, And every day in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message. Jesus is the Messiah. I bring this out because I want you to see the atmosphere, the attitude of these apostles. They were rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. They were flogged, they were beaten, they were released and sent back out, and instead of complaining and grumbling, guess what, they're rejoicing because they know the activity of God is among them. Luke, in his Gospel Recordings, He records the words of Jesus, and maybe the disciples thought this was a fulfillment of what Jesus, the Christ, had prepared them for. You remember in Luke 6, verse 22, listen to the words of Jesus. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy yes yes leap for joy for a great reward awaits you in heaven and remember their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way so we see a church that is growing a church that is moving forward it was moving forward in the midst of great opposition The climate wasn't conducive for the growth of the church, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And when God is up to something, the powers of darkness cannot stop it. Did you know today, every six minutes, a Christian is killed for following Jesus? And this time we have together about a 30 to 40 minute sermon, approximately five to six people will have died because of their faith in Christ. All across this world, there is persecution taking place. Now, most likely you have a 99.9% chance that you will not die because of your faith in Christ. Because we live in a great United States of America where we have spiritual and religious liberty and we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are people living in other lands where they're not free to speak and proclaim, yet they still do. And we have a problem standing up for our convictions. We have a problem standing up for biblical values. We have a problem afraid of offending somebody, so we're going to hold in instead of standing up for righteousness. The early church was a church that was growing. It was a church that was not silent. They refused to be quieted. They refused to be silent. And may the church in the 21st century refuse to be silent. We have a message of hope. We have a message of peace. We have a message of liberty. We have a message of freedom. And church, if it offends, yet it saves them, let them be offended because it's going to save them from the powers of hell. We're so concerned about offending one another. Speak the truth in love. Stand upon the word of God. You'll notice this church in the New Testament, you'll notice this church in the book of Acts was a church teaching truth. It says they went house to house. They continued to teach and preach. Jesus is the Messiah. And then you open up in chapter six, verse one, and Luke says that there is rapid growth. The followers, the believers were rapidly multiplied. The, the new King James says they were multiplying. The law of multiplication was taking place. In church, we are believing for the law of multi- multiplication to take place at glad tidings. Now, what you notice about a church moving forward is right this. It's, not, it's an imperfect church. It's an imperfect church. Verse 1, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there, there were rumblings of discontent. Rumblings of discontent. The New King James says, complaints against. The Greek-speaking Jews were complaining about the Hebrew-speaking Jews. They were complaining that people were being neglected Notice what happened in their complaint. They didn't just go down to the place down the street. No, they worked it out. Sometimes people think that a growing church doesn't have problems, that a growing church won't have any, any friction, a growing church won't have any, any, any challenges. I submit to you that a growing church will have challenges. Is how you deal with them. It's how you face them. You know, sometimes in life, we want to avoid conflict. This is a great lesson for us in our own personal life. The early church did not avoid conflict. They faced conflict in healthy ways. A lot of times, the reason our marriages are are struggling such is because we've avoided conflict for so many years. We've ignored it, act like it didn't happen, and then suddenly there's an explosion. Deal with conflict today. It'll save your relationship tomorrow. Not all conflict is bad. Learn to deal with conflict in healthy ways. So, what we learn about the early church, it's a growing church, but it's also an imperfect church. Write this under C it is a spiritual church. They were highly spiritual, they relied upon the presence and power of the Spirit of God, they had spirit anointed leadership. Spirit-anointed leadership find spirit-led solutions. I don't think you heard that. Spirit-anointed leadership will find spirit-led solutions. They summoned a meeting together of all the believers. And in verse 3, they selected seven. Seven individuals and they gave them the responsibility to meet the needs of those who were being Neglected. Now, this is important. Notice the three qualifications the apostles were looking for in these leaders. They were looking for individuals who were well respected. The King James uses the term a good reputation, and the Greek word means to be or become affirmed favorably by first hand authentication. This denotes time. Approval because of close proximity. You, 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 you approve of them because you've been with them. You've seen them in tough situations. That's why community is so important because it's in community we learn to be authentic with one another. And in authenticity, it validates the calling of God in our life, it validates the work of God in our life. So, so the apostles were looking for individuals who were well-respected, and notice, full of the Holy Spirit. That word full means to be complete, full of something, full of the Holy Spirit in every day life, every part of their life. The only way you can know if somebody's full of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of their life is to do life with them in community. Can I be honest? It's easy to look like and act like you're full of the Holy Ghost here. (laughs) But are you full of the Holy Spirit on (laughs) I-4? Are you full of the Holy Spirit when the spouse gives you a, a terse reply? Are you full of the Holy Spirit when your children are acting the fool and they're acting up? Are you full of the Holy Spirit when somebody in community, somebody offends you? See, it's, it's, it's one thing to be full of the Holy Spirit here, but the apostles were looking for people who were full of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of their life. And church, it is how we are to be today. Now, 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 not only were they to be full of the Holy Spirit, they'd be full of wisdom. Wisdom is the trait of utilizing knowledge and experience with common sense and insight. The 12 apostles were looking for some men with some common sense. Sometimes we just got to apply some common sense. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, exercise common sense. A whole lot of trouble would be avoided if we just used some common sense. They wanted men. They wanted leaders full of wisdom. Now, notice what the early church, the growing church did. Notice what they did. They delegated responsibility. A church moving forward is a church that is delegating responsibility, shared responsibility. So they identified them, they they presented them, they prayed over them, they laid hands on them, other words, commissioned them. Now I think this is important because the disciples, the apostles said this, so we can give our time to prayer, we can give our time to teaching. Know your lane and stay in your lane. Oh, I'm preaching now. Come on. Come on. (laughs) You know what we're good at in the church? We're good at meddling. (laughs) <laughs> we're good at getting out of our lane into somebody else's lane. You know, we, we either have one or two problems. Either we do this, we want to do everything, or we want to do what somebody else is already doing, getting their lane. Because we don't like how they're doing it, and we think we can do it better. So we're going to show them how to do it. But the early church noticed they delegated. They knew what their lane was and they refused to get out of their lane and they realized that there were people being developed, there were emerging leaders being brought up that that was their lane and they could be used in it effectively. Mm. Sometimes we don't want to release because we lack control. Sometimes we don't want to delegate Because we like the feeling of being the man. (laughs) You know who the man is, right? Always got to tell you what to do, how to do it, what you're doing wrong, and why you got to do it some way different. Hear me. Now, wives, this is not a good time to look at your husband. This is not a good time to say a real amen. I, I heard one over here. Notice a growing church. Notice a church on the move is a growing church. They're growing converts. People are being saved. They're having conversions. How how do conversions happen? When you preach the gospel, you preach the word. Truth is presented. Conviction is real in their services. We need to pray that the Holy Ghost conviction is real in our services. Anchors are established. You know what an anchor is? An anchor is that which holds you in the storm. An anchor is that which holds you steady when the winds of opposition are blowing. The problem, the problem of people changing in their, in their ideas and their philosophy, even theology, is because they don't have strong anchors. We, are, we have become a church where we're not preaching biblical sound doctrine, so we don't have anchors. So when the culture changes, then it's affecting the church. But hear me, we must be a church that has anchors because the storm is going to come, but the anchor is going to hold us. And that anchor is Jesus Christ. This church is founded upon the rock, Jesus Christ. Have anchors in your life. Know what you believe and why you believe it, not what culture tells you. Have biblical, sound beliefs. You know what else a growing church is doing? A growing church is growing disciples. Not only people being saved, but they're being discipled. That's why C groups, that's why small groups are so important. That's why getting involved in smaller community. This is wonderful. This is needful. We need corporate worship. We'll show in scripture where they had a corporate worship, but they also met in house to house. They also met in smaller venues. They also met in times where they could be authentic with each other. And it's imperative that we get in situations where we can be authentic with each other and our true self can shine so people who love us unconditionally, people who love us with agape love, can love us through our faults into maturity and can love us in our weaknesses so that we can be strong in the Lord. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ is looking like. How do you grow disciples? Teach the word. Teach sound doctrine. Doctrine is to be founded in scripture, the word of God. Now, doctrine is a set of beliefs which defines a community. Doctrine serves as a basis for boundaries which unify the community, which gives the community a sense of identity, and protects the community from error. How do you grow disciples? Be systematic. I mean, the routines are so important. And I know the routines sometimes are not sexy. Sometimes they're not enthusiastic. They're not great. But have you ever had your life turned upside down? And everything just kind of go A-wire. And you're like, just to have a normal day. Just to have my old born life back. There are things that are systematic that are so important that we take for granted. But it's what's going to make disciples. It's what's going to build a solid, firm The early church had systems. Go back to chapter two just for a moment. Chapter two, look at verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. They were devoted. It means to give yourself to something. You'll never really become a true disciple by holding on. You gotta devote yourself. You gotta give your all. You have to go all in. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in God. you got to go all in. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation to the church, this this is what Jesus wrote. Jesus, and John records it. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spew you. And one translation uses that very drastic term, I'll vomit you out of my mouth." It's important, church, that we have sound doctrine, systematic, devote yourselves. Notice what they devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching. We notice at the very end of chapter five, the apostles' teaching was this, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He died, you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. The apostles' doctrine was the resurrection. The apostles' doctrine was this, that that in him is salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The apostles' doctrine is he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They gave themselves to fellowship. Notice the systems. They gave themselves to fellowship, sharing of meals. (laughs) Invite your brothers and sisters over. Go out to eat. Share a meal together. They shared the Lord's Supper together. We do that, sharing the Lord's Supper, and they committed themselves to prayer. These are the systems, this developing discipleship. This is what the early church gave themselves to. Now look at verse 46 of chapter two. They worshiped together at the temple each day. There it is, corporate worship. They worshiped together. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So a growing church... Is growing disciples, but it's also growing leaders. What type of environment grows leaders? What you can identify in the book of Acts is this, spirit-anointed environment, a spirit-active environment where the things of the Holy Spirit, the activity of the Holy Spirit is taking place. Christ-centered teaching, prayer-centered church, A church that is relational, that is a church that is emerging leaders are coming forth, developing leaders is happening. This is why we give room for the Holy Spirit. This is why we fellowship. This is why we promote community. This is why we do the things we do. Because it's not just the preacher's job. No, it's all of us working together to advance the kingdom of God to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about secondly, emerging leaders. Where the Spirit is moving. Emerging leaders are developed in a spirit filled environment, an environment where the Spirit of God is, is encouraged to move. The church Luke is describing in the book of Acts is the church of the Spirit. And as a result, we see they were developing and growing, emerging leaders. So an environment where the Spirit of God is allowed to move will result in the Spirit-growing people. And the Spirit-growing leaders. And the Spirit-maturing leaders. Why is it important for us to let the Holy Spirit, to create the atmosphere where God has his way, where God is moving? Because we need our sons and daughters to experience the power of God in their life. They don't need to hear it described. They need to see the Spirit of God moving. They need to know what it is to know a Spirit-filled believer, a Spirit-filled follower of Christ. They need to know what it is to be in a service and suddenly you feel a shift. And you know Jesus walked into the room. (laughs) You know the Holy Ghost just change the atmosphere, and needs are met. Let's give a taste of what was happening in the early church. A taste of what was happening. Go back to chapter 5 just for a moment. Look at verse 12. Notice what was happening in the early church. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colony. You know what was happening, what, what was taking place? The supernatural was taking place. Crowds were believing, both men and women. Let me tell you something that's just a great phenomenon. It tells us in verse 15 and 16 that they would bring the sick and lay them in the streets, that Peter would walk by and that his shadow might fall upon them. And it says people were healed. That's a phenomenon that is amazing, amazing. You know what? If you fast forward to chapter 19, many years later in the book of Acts, it says they would bring handkerchiefs and cloths and, 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 and they would anoint them. They would touch the apostle Paul with them and they'd take those handkerchiefs to the sick and they would be healed. See, it was a church where the miraculous was taking place, where the supernatural power of God was being demonstrated. It's important. It's important that we allow the Lord to have his way because emerging leaders are developed and raised up in a spirit-filled atmosphere. In a spirit-filled atmosphere, they'll be called, developed, and matured. Let's spend the next few moments talking about Stephen. You know, his name means this, wreath or crown. One commentator writes, an appropriate name for the first Christian to be crowned with martyrdom. And the commentary says this, Luke says nothing of his background, but he can hardly say enough about his spirit-filled character and ministry. Your background doesn't matter when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and power of God. What matters is the character being developed in your life through being spirit-filled today. So many of us allow our background, our past to hold us down. So many of us allow our background, our past and our mistakes to keep us fearful that people would judge us. Hear me, get full of the Holy Spirit, get baptized in the Holy Ghost, give yourself, go all in with God, because what Luke emphasizes is not his background, but his current status. His current status is this, he's full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the spirit of God. Several things it describes. Verse 5 says this Stephen was full of faith faith to believe, faith to take God at his word, faith to act, to respond to what he heard preached. Faith to act upon his salvation. We must have faith today to act upon what we hear, to act upon what we read. We must be men and women of faith. Also says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, a man, verse eight, full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles, signs among the people. He was so full of the Spirit of God that his opponents could not, could not withstand the wisdom with which he spoke. So guess what they did? They found somebody to lie against him. They got somebody to create mud and throw at him, to get people riled up, to get people all excited, to get people all stirred up. That's what the powers of darkness always do, because they cannot stand against truth. They can't stand and withstand the wisdom that comes from Truth. So they create things to stir people up. Here is Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. And it says he's full of grace. Now, this is important because the meaning of the word grace is favor. It means goodwill. It means goodwill freely disseminated by God. Favor that cannot be explained. Stephen had the favor of God upon his life. This favor could not be explained except by the grace of God. Stephen leaned into the favor of God, was willing to be used, and was willing to use this favor in the service of others. God's favor upon your life is never meant for self-promotion. Let me say that again. God's favor upon your life is never meant for self-promotion. Promotion, God's favor upon your life is meant to serve one another. It's meant to serve the kingdom of God. And the more you lean into that favor, the more you lean into that, guess what? The favor of God is going to be bestowed upon your life. But there's a challenge when we use that favor for self-promotion. Stephen used the favor to go all in with God to serve others. He was full of power. Verse eight says, Stephen, full of God's grace and power perform amazing miracles, signs among the people. Amazing miracles, miracles lifted the burden of the sufferer. There were signs among the people. A sign points towards something. A sign gives direction to someone who was lost or searching. Again, it's not for self-promotion but for the glory Of God. As you close out chapter six, chapter six of Acts, you'll see that as they stared intently at him, there was a glow about Stephen. And in chapter seven, Stephen begins to give his defense. You see, Stephen was bold. There's a verse found in Proverbs 28, verse 1. It says, the wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. The godly are bold as lions. In church, we're living in a day and age where it's going to take boldness to stand up for fa- family values. It's going to take boldness to stand up for biblical truth. It's going to take boldness to stand up for what is right and against what is wrong. Not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way, in a truthful way, because the truth shall set people free. If we're hiding the word, if we're hiding the gospel, if we're changing the gospel, we're hurting the lost because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. It's imperative that we are bold in these days. It's imperative that we stand up and be counted. It's imperative that we proclaim, thus saith the Lord. It's imperative that we hold on to traditional biblical values and to hold forth the word of God and to declare the message of Jesus Christ. Can somebody give God praise? In chapter 7, you notice this about Stephen. He held nothing back. God is looking for a church who is willing not to hold anything back. God is looking for a church who is not willing to hide the truth, but to speak the truth. They were so enraged at Stephen. They were so enraged at his answers that they literally stopped their ears And they, in anger, rushed on him. Stephen became the first martyr, the first martyr of the church. His name means crown. You know, there's a 99.99999% chance you'll never become a martyr, and thank God. But what God is looking for is a people full of the Holy Spirit and anointing of God who will stand up for truth, who will stand for the calls of the word and be counted, be heard. If we are silent, if we are silent, our silence is speaking if we don't act our inaction is action last week we quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer great theologian German theologian World War II stood up against Nazi Germany stood up against genocide stood up gave his life because he stood up and he said these words Silence is speaking. Inaction is inaction. What we learn about the early church, there was emerging leaders being developed because they were a church speaking truth, declaring the gospel, and refused to be silent. There was the atmosphere, the supernatural taking place. And my prayer today is there will be an atmosphere or the supernatural take place in our services. Where non-believers, when they come in, they'll feel the love of God. They'll feel the presence of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. They'll know that Jesus has come to save, deliver, and set free to give eternal life. But it's going to take you becoming hungry. It's going to take you and I saying, here I am, Lord. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit and power. I want to be people of prayer, a man and woman of prayer. I want to be a man and woman of the Word. I want to be a man and woman of conviction I want to proclaim I need the spirit of God in my life I wonder are there some folk here today who will say